then to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards <laughs> podcast for the week of December 5, 2011. This is episode 129. I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today are... Jackie Ritaco, account coordinator with Interval. And uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Fresh from his deathbed. How are you feeling? Fresh from my deathbed. Better. <laughs> uh, not quite 100% yet, but definitely better than I was on... What was it? Two days ago. So was that Wednesday? Wednesday. That sucked. I should know that any time my little boy gets the flu that I'm going to have it shortly thereafter because that's what happened again. Yeah, that's always it's not a bummer. fun. It's not fun. My wife didn't get it though. She she gets a flu shot all the time being a nurse. But Max got the flu shot as well. My son. Um, I did not. So it's odd. It seems it seems the flu shot worked for one, did not work for the other, and of course I didn't get it. So. Well, not going to work for me. Apparently, it doesn't protect against all flu strains, though. So No. It's a crapshoot. Yep. And not only does it not protect against all flu strains, they don't even know if it's going to protect against the flu strain it's intended to. Right. It's kind of, yeah, it's just a a guess. Like, this this might be the one this time, so here it is. Yeah. But it's still still worth getting it, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, The same day you got sick, my son got sick with what sounded like the same symptoms, and it turned out to be strep throat. Which is, well, that's better because then you can just yeah, get some drugs yeah. and get rid of it. But the what got me nervous was earlier in the week he had been jumping on his trampoline and with his buddy and his buddy crashed into him and gouged his forehead with his braces. Hey. So he yeah. had this cut on his forehead, right? Which yeah. I didn't even think of. And then so he gets this fever, 104, it was really bad. He's better the next day, but we take a look at his forehead <laughs> and it's like... It's like completely pussy and nasty, mm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, did is his is he like infected? You know, I thought, well, you know, a human bite is like the most infectious thing you can get. <laughs> so I had to take him in for that, and it turned out to be strep, luckily, and not some, you know, like he wasn't going to turn into a zombie or something. But well, that's good. <laughs> I was going to say I watched two episodes of The Walking Dead while I was on my deathbed on Wednesday. The did you first start two. that? Oh, yeah, those are yeah. really good. On, it's on Netflix now, so I started it up. Did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It's not one that my wife is going to want to watch with me. She would like. She would have been done after the first two minutes of that one. Yeah, it oh. didn't look too appealing to me either. Well, it's pretty um pretty awesome in terms of the effects and yeah. uh, story isn't bad so far either. I mean, it's just it's a typical zombie apocalypse story with you know your love triangles and stuff thrown in. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, I- I'm going to go back and watch season one. Season two was um slower but ended amazingly or at least i guess it's not over it's the mini series so it's halfway over i watched a muppet christmas carol last night (laughs) oh my gosh how was that i actually i love it just because it reminds me of my childhood but then on tuesday night i went to go see the actual muppet movie that's in theaters right now that's what i thought thought you were talking yeah Yeah. so did i no, Muppet Christmas Carol is How was the Muppet dad. movie? I heard yeah. the guy who did a lot of the voices for the original Muppets, I can't remember who told me this. Maybe Jackie, maybe you told me this. Um, but the guy who did the voices for the original Muppets did not like the script for the new movie. He didn't like where they were taking the Muppets, so he wouldn't do it. <laughs> so yeah. I guess a lot of the voices were, you know, they tried to find voices that were close enough. And I guess there were some voices like Fozzie Bear that were pretty off. So there well, was a lot of complaints. That's because Fozzie Bear was Frank Oz who died. 
Well, that might be. I did. That could be too. My boyfriend definitely noticed. He's like, Kermit does not sound the same. And I was like, yeah. oh, I wouldn't have noticed. But that's because well, that's, that's also Frank Oz because he died. Yeah. He did some of the main ones. I think he did Miss Piggy too. But but it got great reviews. Did you? I mean, I just can't even imagine liking that. I mean, I liked the Muppets when I was eight, but. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. They just remind me of my childhood. I just think they're funny. I mean, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, there you know, there's a lot of singing and dancing, and there's definitely cheesy parts, but I just think the Muppets are so darn cute, so I enjoyed it. <laughs> I think I'll take The Walking Dead. How about The Walking Dead Muppets? That would be awesome. With their ent- entrails hanging yeah. out. Yes, exactly. That'd be appealing for the kitties. <laughs> All right. I suppose we better get to some stuff that's actually healthcare marketing related. Non-Muppety? Well, maybe it is. That'll be Maybe. a challenge to our listeners to try to figure out how to work Muppets into healthcare marketing. Question of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so uh, we want to talk about healthcare reform. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> My favorite. Right, Jackie? Your favorite. It's been a long time since it we has, talked yeah. about this. Uh, but I, I'm making a an early 2012 New Year's resolution for the podcast, uh, which is I want us to become one of the best sources for insights on reform and how it will impact our world. So how's it going to impact healthcare marketing and branding? Uh, I think we're fairly up to speed on all this, but we don't talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be good for us to um, dig in a little deeper on this because I'm, I know that it's top of mind. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think it's, it's anybody in this field is thinking about it, but most of them can barely keep up with what's going on today and keep mm-hmm. track of all the things they're being asked to do today. And yeah. so while they know this stuff is coming uh, because it hasn't hit in a significant way yet for their organizations, um, it may not be top of mind for most of them, uh, but certainly it's a it's something that's kind of on the horizon and looming. Maybe that's the best word to use. So I thought we would start with a post that was in Reagan's healthcare news feed, which I think everybody's had a chance to read on this end anyway. Mm-hmm. Um it's by Susan Gosselin, who I don't know, Susan. Susan. Um, I tried to look her up, and I couldn't get any bio information from her website, or at least I couldn't find it easily. But it looks like she's part of a group called Vest Advertising, um, which I don't know Vest, but you can you can follow the links when we post this, this story. And the story that she had posted in Healthcare News Feed was five reasons why healthcare reform will change your marketing job. Um, get ready for 2014. You're going to see some big changes. So... A part of that is, you know, that's so far in the future <laughs> for so many people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I, but it's an interesting article because I think there are some things that make a lot of sense, and there are some things that I might disagree with from what I know. So I think it'll be a good debating point, and hopefully Susan will be okay with that using her content. But you know, I think there's some good stuff in here. Mm-hmm. So the, basically, there are five points, and we'll walk through each of them briefly. Uh, but some of what some of what's you know even the premise for this I think is is an open question. What she says in the beginning is, uh, let's see, where's the best place to start? As she says, as an agency that works primarily with healthcare clients, I can say with some authority that healthcare communications has always been about increasing the bottom line. I think we would all kind of like jump up and shout and say. Uh, I'm not sure we would agree with that. Maybe that's what the <laughs> the supposed intent is. 
but I would say the majority is actually has nothing to do with increasing the bottom line for all the reasons we talk about. But um, I think her point there is that it's supposed to be about that. So let's just go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say healthcare organizations are trying to get people to get unnecessary services, but they do want to make sure that everyone who could possibly use their services knows about them and gets those health boosting services from them and not the other guy. Okay. I think that's true. That's yeah. what healthcare marketing communications is supposed to be about. She says, but when healthcare reform starts setting reimbursement levels based on patient outcomes around 2014 and premium paying patients are forced to become educated healthcare consumers, that quote, come here, we're the best message isn't going to be enough anymore. What now? Uh, we take our shot at prognosticating here. So what she says is, so what she's saying is it's not going to be enough to try to just pull people in. Um, <clears throat> She says, today when we start a campaign, we ask, how can we help drive growth at this institution? In the future, we'll be asking, how can we improve patient compliance? Uh, how can you get that teenage diabetic to take their insulin injections at the right time? How, how do you keep that elderly heart patient taking his medicines, eating right, and exercising? <clears throat> the financial rewards that will come when Medicare doesn't lower your overall reimbursement levels because you have too much recidivism at your hospital or practice. So basically what she's trying to say is, look, right now everybody's focused on just bringing patients, bringing patients, bringing patients. Mm-hmm. And when reform hits and you start getting paid not for quantity, and this is somewhat theoretical because nobody's sure this is actually going to work this way, but it's supposed to move in this direction. You don't get paid for volume or quantity solely. You're going to get paid for quality. So uh, keeping patients healthy, uh, if they come back in, uh, you know, after surgery, then that's going to be a ding on what you get paid. And so her point is marketing is going to have to shift uh, away from the idea of how do we drive growth as this institution and to the question of how we can improve patient compliance. So, so let's start with that because I think I think I would disagree slightly with that. I well, think is that, is that even marketing at that point? I mean, that's education at that point, right? Well, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's part of the issue. And that's, that's kind of the analogy I was going to draw at him is, you know, I would say the question, the question right now, actually, it depends what you mean if you say, how can we help drive growth at this institution? Um, Because smart marketers, even today, are defining growth by profitable growth. And even if you're a nonprofit, you know what I mean here? Uh, It's payer mix. uh, It's finding the right patients. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to drive in people that are going to cost you money, even though in many cases you have to serve those people and that's fine. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think all of a sudden you're going to stop wanting profitable growth and you're going to focus all of your marketing or communications to your point, Adam, on patient compliance. Uh, it's almost the equivalent to me of, if you think of a factory, right? And a factory makes a widget, whatever that widget is. Uh, and marketing's job is to get more people to buy the widget. It's operations job to make sure that the widget works because for every widget they sell that's broken, uh, not only do they you know lose the sale on that, it hurts the brand overall and, and it makes it harder for marketing to draw people in. So you know in our world, you know the factory is the hospital and what's happening now is you know it doesn't matter if the widget breaks, you still get paid. Right. 
if the patient, you know, doesn't get healthy or doesn't take their diabetes meds or comes back into the uh, hospital with an infection, you still get paid. In fact, you may get paid more mm -hmm. because it, it's actually more utilization of care. Yeah, true. Uh, and so theoretically, that's supposed to change. And you won't get paid for, uh, you know, broken widgets. You'll actually get dinged for them, which is what a normal business has to deal with anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you think about that factory, it's not that marketing is focused solely on um, <coughs> helping people understand how to use the product and making sure the product, you know, they don't break the product. And, um, you know, they're still focused primarily on driving growth. Yeah, totally. So, so I, I think that's, you know, there may be an additional component. And to your point, Adam, um, <coughs> You know, if this is about education, then marketing communication departments may have to play a bigger role in that. Uh, but I don't think that that eliminates the need to drive growth. You're still going to compete. Mm -hmm. This isn't, uh, uh, you know, it's not going to be a monopoly situation. You're not a utility with reform. It's not like you're given a set number of patients and you get them no matter what. Even with accountable care, those patients will have a choice. So you're still going to have to compete. Uh, and, you know, drive people to you and not the other guy to original point. So uh, the, it'll just be more important to make sure you're trying to drive the right people. Right. I just, the, the place, the thing I struggle with the most with this one is I just don't, I see marketing's role in, in patient compliance being very small. I agree totally that it's important. I just don't see that being marketing's role. I see that being a role of communication somehow, but more, in, in much more of a clinical aspect. I mean, it, what's going to make an impact on people is a clinician you trust telling you that you need to do these things. You know, I, like, I, look at me, for me, for example, I mean, I, I get told by a marketer telling me I need to, you know, brush my teeth more so I don't have, or right, so I don't have receding gums or whatever, or I shouldn't be drinking sugary uh, soda because it's bad. Um, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you know, so a marketer telling me that, I mean, uh, clinicians are already telling me not to do that and I'm still doing it. It's not like I'm <laughs> going to change my habit because a marketer all of a sudden tell her I see ads or I get direct mail or something, some little interactive thing online or some video series is telling me that I shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's stuff that it needs to come from clinicians, but I, I, communications need to improve in those areas. Right. Um, I just don't see that as, yes, it affects the bottom line. Um, but I don't see that as marketing's role in that because mar I mean this it's an education role. Marketing plays yeah a certain role in education in some ways, but they're just in, in my eyes they're they're pretty different. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think marketing could play a, a greater role in communication with compliance because uh, they may have they may be able to lend expertise that perhaps educators don't have. Certainly, clinicians may not have. Clinicians are notoriously poor at communications. Um, and so they may need, you know, who understands the end audience better than the marketer uh, and, and who understands communications better than marketer theoretically. So they could support patient compliance in, um, you know, having the right kind of communication philosophies and strategies and, um, you know, helping to simplify things and get rid of the rainbow, you know, the rainbow coalition of mimeographed patient education sheets that everybody gets when they go in and, you know, it's yellow and blue and red and green and looks like it's 1974, mm -hmm. you know, even things like that simplifying and uh, marketing can really help with that. But that's not their sole, that's not the why they're <coughs> there. 
Yeah. Right. They're kind of they're stepping out. I mean, they're, yeah, they're lending expertise, but they're stepping. You're stepping out of your role a little bit to help out with that. Not that it's yep. bad. You certainly can do it. And in many organizations, people wear so many hats anyway that you're probably already going to have to do it. But yeah, I mean, right. Okay, so some of the points we won't go into huge in depth on each of these, um, but again, there were five things how it's going to be different. So the first one says patients won't be content with the quote, call me in six months to check in quote anymore. In today's world, I'm going to read this because I do like this, though I disagree a little bit. In today's world, a patient with a chronic condition is told to see their doctor every three to six months. The doc runs another round of tests, has a 10-minute discussion, writes out some prescriptions, and barring any acute flare-ups, that's it. There's absolutely no attempt to communicate with the patient in between visits, often when the real trouble starts. Patients leave the office confused, clutching their poorly, oh, here you go, Xerox instruction papers, and almost immediately start slacking off in their regimens. They come back to the physician no better off than they were six months ago. That is dead on. That's my experience with my diabetes care, and it's no that's, blame to my Yeah, that's pretty physicians. close for me in my uh, allergy care as well. Yeah, I think that's the way it works. But here's how I kind of disagree. The statement, the headline says this is how it's going to change. Patients won't be content with calling me in six months to check in anymore. Actually, they will. <clears throat> The patients, right. this isn't, the patients aren't all of a sudden, you know, going to be motivated or thrust yeah. into change. It's right. the provider that is. Right. right. So the patients actually still will be content with that. Right. It's we who should not be content with that because now we're <clears throat> likely to pay more financial penalty for that kind of approach. Mm-hmm. That's true. And we shouldn't have been as marketers or as, as, as the healthcare provider side shouldn't have been already anyway. Right. I mean, it's so. Right. <clears throat> Right. The good ones were the ones who weren't letting their patients slide and actually cared enough to try to stay on top of them to some degree. Yep. Uh, so the next one is healthcare information will become portable, mobile, and ultimately more ultimately more useful. Um, Adam, I think you said this earlier in your feedback, but this is another one where I would say this is not necessarily going to be driven by reform. It should be driven because that's how right our our customers are interacting anyway. Right, mm-hmm. right. It has very little to do with reform and more. It's just the way things are going. That makes sense. Right. It may become more. I'm sorry, Jackie. Go ahead. No, I just said that makes sense. Yeah. There's, it there's may some be- riveting feedback. <clears throat> it may become more important with reform, but it's it's reform's not driving that. It's kind of like we ranted. I don't remember was last year. There was an article I think in Ad Week or Ad Age about hospital marketing, and it was like. <laughs> It was like the author had just discovered this, like the you know, like this hidden thing that nobody else knew about, you know, talking about hospital marketing and advertising, um, and he was talking about how reform drove social media, and, <laughs> and and it's you know in healthcare, and it's like no, actually, social media was around before any of this started, <laughs> um, you know, so it's kind of like get your you know whatever. So third one is physicians will demand protected time or compensation. For their participation with social media, um, I, that, what do you think about that? I uh, that this is this is the kind of thing I roll my eyes at, um, and I I don't mean to uh, be offensive to the the woman who wrote this article, to Susan uh, Goslin, who wrote the article, but I just I I'm so tired of seeing people just try to cram social media stuff into every article like this because it's like the thing to talk about. I mean, it's just it's so. <clears throat> we all know its importance. We know how it should be used. Or at least we should. We better know how it should be used. And I, th- and I think it's this is a little. This one's a little absurd because, it, if a physician or any business person or business thinks that social media 
the only reason you should be using it is because it's going to, in one way or another, affect the bottom line, right? Or, I mean, just improving communications with patients, if that's your justification, what, whatever it is, you mm-hmm. should be considering it as something that's improving your bottom line as a communications tool. Right. Um, and especially if you're, if you're like, like physicians groups who would use it. I mean, if, you're, if you believe it's a valuable communications tool, you're already, then you believe that it's probably increasing, you know, adding to the bottom line. Maybe you're measure, actually measuring ROI to some degree or, or integrating it into CRM. Um, so it's just, it's odd that they would be demanding, you know, in that case, you're not going to be demanding compensation because as a physician, part of your job is to build business, maintain business and be a business person. Um, you know, maybe if you're an employed physician at a hospital, um, maybe, but I don't, I, I, I have a hard time seeing hospitals bending over backwards to, to, I don't. I don't know. That's just. It's just one of those things where it feels like a very surface level analysis of of, of this, or just kind of like something that was tossed in there as. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just. It just. It feels off to me. It feels. It feels off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, to me, it's the equivalent equivalent of saying, you know, hey, we have discovered that a good bedside manner will improve patient communication and our brand and our bottom line. Um, but now, because we're asking physicians to have a good bedside matter, they may ask to be compensated more for it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's the same thing. Social media is a tool that, if used right, should help you in all the ways you just said, Adam. So uh, if, if you don't believe that, then don't use it. And if you do, you're using it because it's a best practice for your practice, if you're a mm-hmm. physician, or keeping patients happy or keeping communication lines open. Um, and that's what's required to be successful as an organization that shouldn't, you know, I, I know where she's coming from, where physicians are going to say, look, um, you know, there's no time of the day for this. If you want me to play this role, then you're going to have to, you know, help me find time or pay me to take extra time. Um, but I think, I think that would be a, a bad way to approach it. <clears throat> yeah, that's just I mean, me, but. <clears throat> if that's the way it's being approached and it's not, not going to probably be approached in a very genuine way or it's probably right. going to be a, it's it's going it's already a sign of somebody who is probably not communicating very well with their patients to begin with it's supposed to be a supplement in my opinion to uh, as a as a communication it's another communication channel like any that are already probably being used mm-hmm. it's it's don't look at it as this new beast that you need to you know conquer somehow it's just it's a supplement to what you're doing or it's an additional vehicle for communicating well but to be fair, you know, you could say the same thing about email and physicians stay away from email because they don't get compensated for it. So in some ways, you know, it's it's a similar analogy. I, I, I think of them differently because I think of email in that context as a patient interaction, um, just like it would be an office visit. And sometimes they, actually now they are becoming more compensated for email, but Social media is not intended to be a personalized patient interaction. It's not meant to be a diagnosis situation or any of that kind of stuff. So, okay. So the well, that's another good point too. I mean, uh, how? Yeah, I mean, if you're expecting physicians to just like write articles on their blog and then tweet about it, yeah, I guess maybe that. I mean, that's probably going above and beyond what they maybe would normally be doing. So they would deserve compensation for it i don't know but i mean i guess it just depends on how you consider them using social media Mm -hmm. i mean because to your point obviously you're not going to provide clinical advice over twitter 
Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Here's the last one. I said there were five of these, and I got <laughs> off track because the first one was um, the, the change. Remember, there's five reasons why it will change. Mm-hmm. The first one was actually the answers will be the same. The questions will just be different. That was that was all related to the idea of you're not going to ask how to drive growth. You're going to ask how to improve patient compliance. So we, we covered that one really well, but I was just off of my count. So the fifth and last uh, way it's going to change is social health <laughs> tools will be expected to actually do something. Um, should be and, expected to do something now. Or why the hell are you using them? It's true. I well, I mean, come on. We know that there are, in fact, we've even advocated in some cases that it's, it's fine to just get out there and provide, for example, a mobile web app that, you know, just provides information in a clearer way, a more accessible way. Um, I don't know if that's a social health tool, uh, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's like some of these others. I think it's true, but I don't know that reform is necessarily going to drive it. I think it should be driven for the reason you just said, Adam, because it's wiles do it. Right. right. So anyway, hopefully Susan won't be mad at us because I think we dinged her more than agreed with her. But, you know, I, I, it's we good just to... Th- we agreed with her on some important points, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and you know, she's putting stuff out there. I mean, that's, that's you know, kudos for, for going out there and trying to guess how the hell this is all going to hit. I mean... Um, you know, that's what we try to do all the time. And I'm sure there are plenty of people that <laughs> disagree right. with what we say. So well, and I don't it's think, all about I don't, the dialogue, not about there's, the... There's very little in this article that's off. It's just some of it feels kind of surface level. Like it, yeah. like it's, it's just, you know, it's right, but it's just, this doesn't, it's not telling you much. So that's, that's, that's my beef with certain parts of it. And certain parts, there's other articles that, you know, she's got, there are, there is some value in her, in her article for sure. Cause there are some good points, especially yep. towards the beginning. Um, but there are some articles that come out that are just full of like the, the social media hype and the, and they're just, they're so surface level that it makes me want to smash my face into the, into my, into my screen. Cause like, <laughs> give me something, you know, don't just keep regurgitating everything that, that every other marketer is already spewing, you know, put some, think of, give a little deeper analysis to it. And this isn't a ding on her. This is just a ding in general to a lot of the articles that seem to be coming across the wire lately. Yeah, and I I would say I would actually say this article does go beyond that. It's not yeah, yeah. no, I, I it's agree. not just taking like social media is important and you know blah blah. She actually gives examples. We're, we're not reading all of it, obviously. She gives examples in most each case. Um, you know, she does go. She she kind of formed her own opinions and goes deeper. So we just don't agree with all of them. But that's I mean, she's being a fortune teller trying to figure out how this is all going <laughs> to impact. So right, you know. It's. I still think it's. I th- still give her a lot of credit for going out there and trying to put that out there. Than just saying, "Well, I'm not going to say anything because who knows." Yep. So, mm-hmm. yep. so thank you to her for actually putting yeah. it out there and giving us something to discuss. And you could find her on LinkedIn too, Chris, if you want okay. some more info on her. Cool. We'll we'll post a link to the article and you can find all the information. All right. So we're we're getting long on the tooth. I did want to share <laughs> this um, because I thought it was a, a, an excellent way to. Um, Think about mobile. Think about anything, really, but mobile in particular. Uh, I, I happened just today to follow on Twitter Forrester Research and immediately found great content. I mean, they do such good stuff. This is actually from uh, a blog uh, from Forrester by Julie Ask. And the name of the blog is Coca-Cola Leverages Context to Create... It's actually got a typo in it. That can't be possible. Coca-Cola leverages context into create engaging mobile chalk campaign in Hong Kong. 
So I think there's an extra in in there. Basically, what it's talking about is how Coca-Cola is has started this campaign in Hong Kong, um, which is interesting. But but how she talks about mobile uh, and that she's kind of got this philosophy called the future of mobile is context. And if you go to this article, you can actually click on that link and it will take you to a paper that you could buy for 500 bucks. <laughs> I'm not sure that, that you need to do Cheap. that. Yeah. She outlines kind of the four key parts of it. And that's why I thought it was interesting. So yeah. um, what she says is there are four phases basically of evolution when it comes to using context with mobile. Uh, so the first is using the basics. So leveraging location, time of day. So that's obvious, like geo-targeting kind of, um, hey, you pop up next to a, a subway and you get a, you know, it shows up in Foursquare. It's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very basic level kind of stuff. Phase two, she calls layering intelligence. So not just the time of day, but the time of day relative to an event. So now what she's talking about there is... Um, it's not just about where somebody's at or when they're at, it's what they're doing. And, and to really, to really leverage that you have to know who they are. So it's a little bit about context. It'd be like, it'd be like the difference. Um, and I don't know how the heck you would ever pull this off, but it'd be the difference between having some kind of, uh, mobile offer tied to a subway and having a mobile offer tied to a subway for you and your soccer team because somehow you figured out that the person is there after a soccer game with the kids. You know, it's the context that matters. Again, I don't know how the heck you'd find that out, but sure. um, that would be a super powerful way to connect with people. Phase three is using new technology in the phones. So using sensors, using the fact that there's two cameras, again, going beyond just the fact that you know where they're at with the phone. Uh, but using some of the the tools that are available on many of the phones. And the last phase is more sophisticated use of the sensors and technology to control the device. So she points to this campaign by Coke uh, as being an example of um, a campaign that does all this. So Mm -hmm. I'll I'll read you the campaign. It's kind of hard to understand. Coke is allowing consumers in Hong Kong to enter a sweepstakes by virtually collecting bottle caps from a third screen, a TV, movie theater, etc. The audio signal from the commercial triggers the application, uh, which syncs the user's motion with the video. The accelerometer accelerometer is used (laughs) to assess the quality of the motion of the user's mobile phone. The device is being used to catch the bottle caps virtually. So That's there's a cool. video which I didn't look, but it sounds like the video the stuff is flying at you, mm-hmm. and you like try to hold up your phone and catch it. Yeah, and the more of them that you catch, you know, the more enter entries you get into the sweepstakes or something. Yeah. Um, and so obviously it's using the basics where you're at. It's using some context, meaning uh, you're in a movie theater and you're kind of open entertainment, <coughs> as opposed to you, you know you wouldn't do this at a fine restaurant, for example. <laughs> um. <laughs> So she says that this uses some of the phase three and phase four level context sophistication she mentioned. They enhance the video commercial experience by getting the consumer to be active. The act of collecting the bottle tops gets the consumer off the couch and interact with the ad directly. She thinks it's very cool. I think that's cool too. But I love the four phase thing. I'm watching the little commercial here. I'm just waiting for one of these kids to smash this phone into the TV screen. (laughs) So anyway, I just wanted to share that. We'll put a post up to it, but yeah. um, I, I thought that was a really cool way to think about um, mobile. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy it's, how far we've come. It's interesting. It's interesting. In, in in practice, I mean, there's a lot of variables that have to be in place for something like this. I mean, you have to have the app. You have yeah. to be. You have to know when like, this commercial is going to happen, or when this whatever the thing is in the movie theater is going to happen, so that you have the app launched and going, and you're ready to interact. I mean, I, I do agree. I do agree that it's an, an innovative, fun uh, uh, idea. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of variables that have to line up for uh, yeah. for it to be effective. Um, but that's not to rip on it because it's great to see people trying stuff like this and having having some fun with it. Yeah, I think I think the key thing I took away from that was context. I mean, if if you can find people, if you can match what you want them to do or what you have to offer to the right context, mm-hmm. which goes beyond where they're sitting or what time of day it is, it can be really powerful. And I think. You know, we have a long-term client, LifeSource, which is an organ procurement organization. Uh, so, so what those organizations do is help uh, manage organ transplants, but also part of their charge is to raise awareness of organ donation and try to get people to, to sign up to say yes, they want to be an organ donor on their driver's license. And they have learned, you know, over the years that context is critical. So, for example, they've run, um, you know, they have different ways of getting out in public and trying to raise awareness and get people to sign up. And they used to go to Minnesota Vikings games. Why did they go to Minnesota Vikings games? Because you got 60,000 people that are all in one place. And so you can set up a booth and you can, you know, say, hey, learn about organ donation and, you know, sign up. If you're not already a, a donor designation, donor designee, you can sign up right here. Well, that makes sense from a location standpoint. It makes sense from a volume standpoint, but contextually, it's it's awful. Who who and they learn this. Who wants to go to a Minnesota Vikings game or any sporting event, right? <laughs> yeah. And and you're there. You're probably drinking. You're having a great time. It's it's pure fun. And now you want to hear about organ donation. I mean, right. and they and they learned. You know, people don't <laughs> want to engage in that, right? So I think that's another good example where, you know, it doesn't have to be a mobile technology, but in anything you do, if you can, A, avoid that kind of like complete disconnect with context, um, but more importantly, if you can find a way to leverage the right kind of context, then yeah, I think that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we should probably wrap things up. Um, I had one more thing real quick, if we can do it. We're starting the holiday season, so I just wanted to hear real quickly one the one thing that you love maybe the most about the holiday season and the one thing that you hate the most about it. I hate the hecticness, the busyness, especially if you need to get out and do something like go to the store. <clears throat> That's got to be my biggest hate of the holiday season. I'm just I'm not I'm about as anti Black Friday as one could <laughs> as one could be. Yeah. Um thank God for how easy it is to shop online. I have a feeling we'll be doing 90% of our holiday shopping this year that way. <clears throat> I hate that. I love just the general vibe of the holidays. If that's maybe that's just too general, but like the music and the thing and just the, the decor. Um, I don't know. It's just, there's just mm-hmm. the feel that you get from that. Um, is probably my favorite part of the holiday. And, and, you know, the obvious one is getting together with family. Um, <clears throat> but sometimes that's a major pain in the ass too. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, so that's mine. Um, Adam kind of stole mine. Mine probably would have been. Um, I took pretty generic ones though, so I probably stole a lot of people's. There's not a lot I hate about the holidays, but I think it it is kind of the whole like Black Friday mentality and just I don't know like the greed and the deals and the 
the stores opening at midnight on Thanksgiving, some of that just drives me nuts. It kind of dilutes the actual feel goodness sometimes about the holidays. But I think that um, all the other fun stuff that comes with Christmas makes it fun. You know what yeah. else? I, <clears throat> one other thing I hate, and it's I can't say that I hate. I hate. I can't say that I hate this more than the other than the Black Friday stuff. But <clears throat> and this is going to be really mean because I kind of side with organizations like um, Target. And a few others who have banned the whole bell ringer thing out in front. Not because I am opposed to the Salvation Army. Donate to the Salvation Army every year. Mm-hmm. Um, donate to other charitable causes every year. But I feel like a complete dick every time I walk past <laughs> one of those people know, without giving too. them money. Don't I, you? I seriously, and I do. So I mean, I do give them money there once in a while when I've got like loose change in my pocket, and I hardly ever carry cash. So it's not like I can just you know stick a wad of bills in their can every time. Well, you just. Um, it makes you feel guilty. Sometimes yeah, I, I want to go up to him and say, hey, by the way, the guy who had the shift right in front of you, I gave him some money, so that's why I'm not putting money well, in your I, well, thing. That, I feel like I'm being judged by that person. I feel yeah, like I'm being totally. judged by every single person around me who sees me walking past him. And maybe I'm not, but that's how it feels. So I'm totally, I totally side with the organizations who say, who are who are I, I, maybe I don't maybe maybe saying I side with them is going a little too far, but I, I'm not opposed to some someone like Target saying, you know what, we're just not going to have bell ringers in front of the store anymore. So sure. th- there's another one of my holiday hates. Wow, this is all negative. <laughs> That's what you asked for. No, I know, I know. <laughs> you you know, don't hate I, the Muppets. No. <laughs> the one thing that I this sounds really old fashioned and maybe really high horsey kind of thing, but there's so much the holidays to me is like you said it's about being with family it's about mm-hmm. all the fun and at its heart it's about giving mm-hmm. you know to others i really do think that's what christmas should be yeah, about i, I get way more joy out of giving gifts than getting yeah. them um but but when folks turn that upside down um it really grates on me and the two examples i can think of are one the traditional holiday um usually christmas newsletter which is a classic example of look at everything we're doing. This is this is no longer a gesture of me showing you or, or reaching out to you saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about you over the holidays. Right. Have a great holiday." It's you know, little Johnny did this, little Susie did that. So that's one. And then the other is, and people are going to argue with me on this, but I've had a relative who it's one thing to make a Christmas list. <laughs> It's another when it's kind of like an, a mass email that says, here's what I want for Christmas, bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> which to me is the exact opposite. You know, this isn't about writing down a request list of what you want, especially right. as an adult. I mean, you certainly right. kids make, make lists, uh, but I've had this discussion with my kids. I'm like, you know, you should just be happy with whatever you get. Right. You know, it's fine. Go ahead and make a list, but, but you know, this, this isn't about... You know, stocking up and all the things you want. It's, it's, it's. You should just be so thankful that you're even getting gifts, which I know sounds right. like completely no, you should be <laughs> altruistic, but speak no, for yourself. No, and pe- so totally. people get mad. Just they ask me list. what I want. They ask me what I want for Christmas, and I'm like, whatever you give me is fine. And they right. get, they're like, well, I don't know what to get you. I'm like, I know I'm not trying to be difficult. I just, it's not about what I want. Right. It's. Not. I struggle. I struggle with that too. I actually. um because uh, when people put me on the spot like that, I am exactly the same way. I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, whatever. I'm like the same thing. If you whatever you think would be cool is cool with me. Um, but I do also keep like on Amazon. I have like just when I when there are things that I know that I want that I'm just not going to order right away. Like if it's a book or maybe a game or some like 
accessory for something. I have like a list that I put that stuff on. And sometimes I'm like, well, I, I keep this list of things that I might pick up at some point in time, like something I might tack on to an order. If you're interested in looking at it, it's public. So here you go. Um, but other than that, so that, that keeps me from having to like all of a sudden put a, put on the spot, make this list of things that I want somebody else to get to get for me. And it's more or less just a list for me throughout the year of things that I could tack on to another order at some point in time of some little thing that I would like to pick up. Um, but then I can share that with other people if they really want some list. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I'm probably being again way too like pious when I say that stuff. So I don't. It's not like it keeps me up at night. But anyway, <laughs> we're we're pushing the 40 minute mark. We so. are. I think we have, we might be over it. Well, thank you to our listeners for hanging in that long. Assuming that you're still there, are you there? And there'll be more more Christmas banter to come. Hello. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Couple of weeks. All right. Well, for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, let's sign off. This is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Ritaco. And Adam Meyer. Talk to you next week. <laughs>